All right, troops, strong and conditioned, live and direct from the Chateau de Bopi in Glasgow, Scotland, not Glasgow, as the <laughs> Americans like to call it. So I'm just preempting Jamie so he doesn't make that mistake because I never, knows... never would I, never would I, and it's. Yeah, yeah, I'm well aware. I'm aware. <laughs> a lot, of, a lot of uh, Glaswegians get offended when the word Glasgow is mispronounced. If you go onto like TikTok or Instagram, you'll get these videos where you'll get reactions from Scottish people when it's always off total disgust. <laughs> when my home city is a uh, is mispronounced, so. Yeah, I, well, I can I can say that I I grew up around a lot of Welsh name uh, place names like Bala Kinwood and uh, and so because of that I mean we have and we have Dutch place names and things like that where I grew up so I, I can pronounce certain words I I'm a bit more cultured than most Americans I'd like to think. <laughs> well, well, going by the the blog you write and your website, I think it's safe to say you're a, you're a very cultured gentleman, Jamie. But before Thank we uh, move right, on, I appreciate. Well, before you. we move ahead, I actually need to introduce you because I usually introduce my guests before we start. Oh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> but we have went right into it. So. Tonight, I am very honoured. This is a man who I have been reading about for a very long time. And it's a man who, if you'd have asked me 10 years ago if I would have actually been having a conversation with him, I would have looked at you like you have two heads. It is. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like, I always looked up to guys like yourself. And I was always just a guy training in Glasgow. I never expected to have a podcast or a YouTube channel. And it was guys like yourself who changed the way I thought about training. But we'll get to that. Let's tell the people your name. Okay. Because there's some people that listen All to right. this podcast who won't know you, Jamie. All right. Uh, would you like me to introduce myself or are you going to do it? Do you know what, Jamie? You introduce yourself. Go for it, mate. The first ever right. guest well, introduce himself. All right. <laughs> My name is Jamie Lewis. I am the world's preeminent strength historian. Uh, and I was recently seen on ESPN's 30 for 30 episode about American gladiators, if you'd like to check me out there. Uh, but I am somebody who has been writing about strength training for the last 15 or so years. And while I was doing that, I was challenged that I didn't know what I was talking about. And so I competed a couple of times in powerlifting and broke a 40-year-old world record in raw powerlifting. I broke the all-time uh, raw not drug tested, but the all time classic raw, uh, no wraps, just, it was just knee sleeves and a belt on the squat. I didn't even wear it on the, uh, deadlift or the bench. And I won the, I got the total and I, I tied the, uh, the squat. So that was nice. And, uh, yeah. And I've just continued to write about it and I got more into the history of lifting rather than the actual training side of it, because, that became boring to me. I found that actually we didn't need to talk about training so much. It's like finding out where the roots of history, uh, where the roots of the training came from, that interested me. So um, starting with somatotyping, actually, I really was like, all right, so we've all been saying these words. Why do we say them? And then I started digging and then I found out and I was like, well, that's fucking asinine. And uh, so then I just kept digging and kept digging. And now I, uh, now I have a, a, the thing that I'm mo like most proud of that I've done so far is this podcast called prize fighters, circus freaks and gangsters that I, uh, I have with this historian. She's a food historian, Greta Harden. She and I are best friends now. And uh, so she writes about the history or she has a podcast about the history of American food that I love. 
And I wanted a team with somebody who knew the culture aspect of it so that people, when they continue to ask questions like, why, why do the 19th century people train the way they do or look the way they do or eat the way they do or what was their food like? I have this genuine authority in the subject who can come in and, and help answer those questions. And we're teaching using uh, films and TV and uh, things like that set in the 19th century as the hook. So we discuss the historicity and that way you learn about the martial arts and the training and the fashion because you don't think about it, but the belt that they were wearing back then was not even for the reason that people wear belts now. Never mind that it worked the same way or look the same way. And their clothes were different and everything was different. So it changed the way they did things and it changed their mindset. And that's what I'm trying to teach the mindset of the old school and how I came to do the things I did. Right. Okay. That, that, that's fascinating, Jamie. That was a very <laughs> lengthy introduction for myself, but I'm a historian and an accidental power lifter. My God, that was the world's longest, the world's longest introduction. One thing that jumps <laughs> out is the, the history aspect, because it looks like you went back in time to find a webcam from some point in history. Oh my God, it is a 4K <laughs> webcam. I swear to God, it's just that I... This room has literally no lights in it, and there's a ring camera, a lone ring camera far away, and it's behind a TV. So you know what? I'll have if you ever have me on again because of this horrid, horrid camera situation. I'll do the best I can. I will. I'll. I'll arrange something else. I'll have a light. One light. Jamie, my, my uh, podcast is all about the content. It's not about the aesthetics. As long as we get some <laughs> meaty information, that's all that really matters at this point. Wow, Jamie, you seem, I think you're one of my most intimidating guests due to your the wealth of knowledge. One thing <laughs> well, I, I, I didn't intend to be. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. Take it as a compliment. One thing that I do want to touch upon just to create a, a journey here is your origins with regards to your training journey. Where did it start? Okay. Uh, well, my initial training start was in seventh grade. I went on a, uh, well, I guess grade seven for you. And at grade seven, I went to on this uh, this canoeing trip in, for two weeks in the Adirondacks. And the Adirondack Mountains are in New York State. And um, so we just canoed every single day. And everybody else was eating fish because everybody there liked fish. And I, I'm allergic to fish. So uh, I couldn't, I, I didn't eat them. So I just ate peanut butter sandwiches and paddled for like eight hours a day, every day. And, uh, and then read like mad magazine every night. And this was like formative to my life. And so when I came back, I had like little biceps from eating these peanut butter sandwiches and, uh, and, and paddling and paddling. And, and I got so many compliments that it like stuck in me. And then in, I didn't work out and again after that, but in ninth grade, I, uh, I, I got pinned under 135 pounds in a bench press test for uh, American football. And um, so we had to just bench it as many times as we could. And I had never bench pressed before. And, uh, and I weighed like 130 pounds. So it just went crashing to my chest. I'm, I'm like 5'4", five, 5'5", five, five, which is, I don't know what in centimeters. I, I can do kgs, but I can't do. But uh, yeah, so I was what, 60 kgs. Uh, and I don't know how tall that is in centimeters. But um, in any event, I'm a short guy. And uh, so I went crashing to my chest. And then I was mortified because the whole football team was there. And they were laughing at me. So then I just started working out like an insane person. Every free period I had, I would go into the weight room and work out. Sometimes when the weight room wasn't open after school, I would just rip the door open and go in and train. Uh, every time I had the opportunity, I would train. 
Uh, I started running every day because uh, Bruce Lee ran three miles every day. So I started running every day, three miles. And I did that for maybe 10 years of my life. Just every day ran three miles, rain or shine, constantly, a 5K. And I would run it in about 20 minutes. So... It's, there's two things that, that immediately uh, grab my attention here. The first one is the bench press, the dose of reality, because you're not the first guest that's came on and spoke about being crushed under the the bench press. I think I think that's yeah. a rite of passage for a lot of people. It's a red pill moment in training when they first attempt a bench press and find themselves almost guillotined yeah. by an Olympic <laughs> bar. It's a, it's not a it's not a movement you would do and it you know now in the age of the internet it's something you see a lot of you know kids are seeing it on the YouTube or whatever but we didn't I was not it, lifting weights I knew of it you know I would see comic book characters bench pressing in the Secret Wars or whatever the Hulk's bench pressing sixty thousand tons or whatever but <laughs> I never considered a bench press before so when I got to that test it was like all right let's see what we can do apparently this is something I can do so I just bang right to my chest like. <laughs> well, apparently it's not something I could do. It's something I need to learn how to do. So, um, yeah, and that's all it is. That's all lifting is, is just learning how to do something. Yeah. Well, what do you think it is about that bench press moment that spurs people on to try and tame the iron, so to speak? Shame. Shame. <laughs> shame is what, shame is exactly what does it. I mean, uh, I'm a wildly competitive guy and I, you know, the, the year that I grew those little biceps, I spent half the year suspended uh, for fighting. I fought everybody. I, In fact, I even fought a famous actor who was in a movie that won awards that year. Uh, the, in Lord of the Flies, there was a, the, a kid who was in Lord of the Flies. And the kid who ate the lizard, I beat that kid up and I was suspended for it. So... Uh, yeah, I fought every single person pretty much in the school that year. That, that <laughs> was one of my that was one of my favorite movies growing up. Actually, I believe it was Baltazar was it really? Getty who was in the yeah, lead he, role. He ended up the uh, captain of our of our wrestling team, and he was a he was a great uh, he was a really 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 good wrestler. And he went on to Penn State, wrestled there, and uh, I, I don't know what he does now, but he's a cool kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's a flashback. The, the, so basically, you fell into training through these peanut butter and just biceps. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And we had little. My brother had little like weeder weights in the basement. They were like the plastic ones filled with sand. I don't know if you remember those. They're really old yeah. school. But yeah, yeah we, they were little little tiny plates. And yeah, we would do curls and stuff like that in the basement. Uh, yeah. And when I got into college, my one buddy and I who, um, <laughs> this is kind of funny, but this is a dude for like four years, we trained together every single day, basically. Uh, like hang out all the time. We would we would watch uh, like Rocky movies and do push-ups and sit-ups and stuff like that. And um, and then we would go lifting and we would go play basketball and go, uh, we would go out with girls afterwards. Well, he turned all that into gay porn later, like gay for pay porn. It was uh, it, like literally everything we did became a movie. I was like, ooh. Well, yeah. And then he got outed on Tyra Banks by his girlfriend for being in love with me. It was, that was something. It was exciting. It's always is this, interesting. Is this interview when... living up, was this, is this living up to what, uh, to your expectations? Not yet, not yet, but I think we're getting there, oh, Jamie. Shit. I think we're getting All there. All right. <laughs> That's a funny point that you bring up with the Rocky movies, because I can always tell the, the, the age range of my guests when they bring up their influence uh, with regards to who introduced them to lifting. And I tend to find the younger ones go for Dragon Ball Z. Oh, shit. 
Oh, you didn't hear that. I'm sorry. I would just, uh, my, this computer dinged and I was like, oh shit, did that come out of the speakers? <laughs> Go ahead. Shit, sensory overload. Uh, yeah, the, the younger guests I have, they were inspired by things like Dragon Ball Z, which I'm not too aware of myself because I'm in my 40s, whereas I speak to guys that are in my age range and it's always rocky. And Oh no, it goes back further to He-Man. We were all inspired by He-Man growing up. The Dragon Ball Z is just, uh, of us, is He-Man. At yeah, least in America. Yeah. yeah, but the thing about He-Man was, is like I, I grew up watching He-Man, but the aesthetic never inspired me to go lifting because I never looked at He-Man in a training context because I was brought up in the age where it was like Jean-Claude Van Damme movies were starting to make their presence felt. And yeah. you also had the the, the, the kind of more lower budget ones with Billy Blanks, uh, No Retreat, No Surrender. And they Man, always people had... need to know about Billy Blanks. He <laughs> is the truth, dude. Oh, Billy Blanks was a complete badass. He starred in a movie called King of the Kickboxers. God, he I always remember this movie. Shit, yeah. King of the... I, in fact... I watched it recently because it's on a streaming service that's free in the United States. Oh, my God. He can't. There were some great fighters in that movie, too. But fuck, he can't act. <laughs> fuck. fuck. Okay, right. You're right. He can't act, but he had presence. He had a... Yeah. Well, he had physical presence because he's built like Wesley Snipes, I think. Yeah, yeah. And he also had those wild staring eyeballs. Like you knew he meant business, and you knew you just this knew the guy. This is all was... of the acting he did. <laughs> I was a huge fan, but these were the movies that introduced oh, me to training because they involved training in the actual movie. Oh yeah, yeah, so... yeah. The canon films really did that. The canon films were huge on that. They loved the training montage, like No Retreat, No Surrender. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's one thing I miss about these movies is that you don't get the training montage anymore, which is quite funny because fitness is you so do sometimes. Uh, the, there was an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie with Joe Manganiello. Nobody saw where they were crooked cops. The name of it escapes me, but you can put it in the show notes. It was a fantastic movie and Arnold trains in it before he goes and like does crooked cop shit. And uh, there's also, there's a meme going around right now where he Arnold's screaming at a guy and he's like, you shut the fuck up. You screaming at me with your fat fucking ass, your fat jelly roll ass. Shut the fuck up. Who are you to fucking talk to me? Do some fucking sit-ups. That's from that movie. And he's like doing curls and all kinds of shit in it. And uh, there was another movie I saw a training sequence. Oh, the, uh, the TV show Warrior. Uh, that was a Bruce Lee's concept for a movie. It's on uh, Max. It's a phenomenal movie or a phenomenal TV show about uh, Chinese American immigrants in, in San Francisco in the 18 or in 1880s. Um, that's what I've been doing my podcast about. But um, yeah. so, yeah, and uh, there's tons of martial arts. It's phenomenal. Yeah, I, it's, to be honest, I don't really consume any media nowadays. I don't watch TV. I don't watch Netflix. I always just watch YouTube. Or I look at my phone. I don't really watch movies anywhere, so I'm, I'm probably missing out in that respect. But I know that I'll make this YouTube shit because Jesus, really? What do you watch yeah. on YouTube? I, do you know? I, I find myself watching like 
space documentaries at night just to get myself to sleep. Oh, okay. Things like that. All right. And I also watch a, a YouTube channel called Soft White Underbelly. Okay. It's basically a guy from California not. and he interviews people and it's like prostitutes and drug dealers and pimps and hackers. Okay. And it's just a person sitting on a stool, but but it's it's absolutely mind-blowing. It's enthralling. You, you, you don't take your eyes off the screen because it's really painful stories. So that's something that I would definitely recommend. But some I'm reading... Light, off... Some light viewing before bed. That's what you watch <laughs> before you go to sleep. Holy shit. My God. So 20 years ago, you were just going to Rotten.com and watching people's executions before you... Ah, you know, just a couple of... I'm going to watch this guy jump out of a window a couple of times before I go to sleep. Hey, well, I'll watch a couple of people. I hate your hammer attacks before I nod off. That's... It's funny. <laughs> It's go. funny you what? say that because your video camera quality looks like a live leak video from like oh. <laughs> <laughs> you had to come back with something. All right. So you're a serial killer and I have a shitty camera. Fair enough. All right, one to one. Yeah, yeah. There you go. One for you, one for me. Right, okay. All right. So I want I want to How pick many up bodies on some... are buried under your house. That's what that's what I'm starting to wonder now. Yeah. No you have a large walk-in freezer. None as of yet. But I want to go back on what you said about the, the influence of Bruce Lee as well. I thought that was quite interesting. Oh, yeah. Because when you speak about running, I always think about people training in that respect. And it means that they weren't limited by the information that was available to them at that point because it was quite scarce. Whereas nowadays, people would be dissuaded from running because it affects... The, the potential for muscle growth, which we know is not to be true, but it's a yeah, but yeah. So people are fucking lazy. <laughs> <laughs> also, lifters do not like being jostled. If you if you ever like just jostle a lifter, you know, get into the gym and like throw a shoulder into them, they flip the fuck out. They don't like being jostled. They can't. They have no balance. So they just, they can't handle being jostled. And running is just jostling yourself. So it doesn't feel good because you're bouncing up and down and they don't like that. They like Dude. everything to be slow and steady and in very specific planes of motion. And yes. It's funny you say that, Jamie, because you've just, you've just like conjured up a thought in my head. And I don't think that gyms are really positive places at this current moment in time. I think they're quite tense. I think there's a lot of people in gyms who become totally encapsulated by training. Therefore, if they go into a gym and they see that their machine that they start their routine with is taken, they are instantly stressed. Uh, yeah, and yeah. Tend to think that's the uh, vibe in training now. Uh, I can blame one word for that for that entire thing. And that word is program. When you and I were growing up, we didn't call what we did a program. We didn't do a program, but if we were to look something up for what we wanted to do, we would look up a workout or we would look up a routine, but program never entered the sentence or it never entered the conversation. That, pro that program as a word entered our vernacular like that only since the dawn of the internet. You know what I mean? And so what does it, so people think that you can program for success in lifting, right? Do you believe that? 
Mm, no, I, I believe that hard work is ultimately the driver of success, regardless of what you do. I think that if you want to be specific, you have to do a movement. But I think that it, it's more mindset driven. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the reason why I asked the programming question, well, it was a leading question and then you gave me nothing, but I'm going to run with it anyway. <laughs> so uh, so people under misunderstand the word program, the very word program is designed to be you dick it was supposed to be a teaching moment and then you fucked it all up so uh, you would be great in a, you would be great in a relay race or like uh maybe battle rapping maybe we should jump into that after this but in any <laughs> you're killing me i'm sorry for coughing without hitting the mute but anyway program does not mean computer program it is not a you cannot program for success program was based on theatrical program which is what these guys were back in the day. They were, they were people who were in the theater. They were actors and violinists and singers because nobody wants to watch on, except for now because people are so fucking boring. Nobody wants to watch a person lift something up and down slowly. I don't know why people do. They want to watch Frank Yang fucking doing crazy ass weird violin shit and then deadlifting drunk. That's Arthur Saxon. Arthur Saxon never performed sober. So he couldn't have programmed for success because he was never sober. And also program didn't even mean that until the 1990s. Like it didn't have to do with computers until the 1990s. So you cannot program for success. That is nonsense. And it's, yeah. So there we go. So, do you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy that you brought that up because it was something I wanted to go into with you. And I'm going to speak about my own experience I used to be quite limited in respects with regards to being like consumed by a program because I like routine in my life. So I would like things in a certain order. But it was once I started reading your works and started to get into your thought processes with regards to training. And I don't want to call it experimental, but just going in with a, a free mind and not being locked into anything specific, doing what you wanted to do within an hour. And one workout always stood out to me, and I always remember it. It was I always remember you writing about doing chin-ups for an hour. Just do chin-ups for an hour. And that to me was an alien concept because it just it seemed so simple, but it seemed like something you wouldn't ever do. Yeah. Because it what, wouldn't make wait, sense. What? But when I did it, which I, like I did I was sore for fucking days. Absolutely sore for days. I probably had one of the worst abdominal doms that I've ever had at that point. That's awesome. And I kind of seen what it was all about, and it really influenced me from that point on. How did you come about that mindset with regards to training? So it goes back to what you were talking about, and I got derailed with the program thing, but we didn't have programs back in the day, and so we had lots of diverse influences, and one of mine was Bruce Lee. I always thought he was super cool, and uh, you know, it wasn't until I was an adult that I realized he was like a crazy cokehead, and his career was crashing, but I was in my head, I always had him as this superhero, so like... I would do his workout shit, even though I didn't know he was fucking filled with cocaine while he was training for like all that time. And so like, you know, but like I would just take caffeine because we have caffeine and I can run for it all this time. So that three hours a day thing became a routine for me because I saw it as like for him, it was just a demonstration of his commitment, I guess, to fitness. And that's just how uh, like people 
started their day back then. It was like, I'm committed to this. And so this is how I'm going to start my day. And I've come to find this is how old school people did it too. And I did it for the longest time, stopped. And now I've started again. But um, the, yeah, so it was like, we would take ideas like that. And then like with Rocky, we would watch that and we would train like that. And then we would see people in the, in the magazines and they would be training with bodybuilding stuff. And so we would just do all of it. And that's how people used to train. We didn't, like, even when people wrote down their programs, that's what I did when I went to the gym for the third time. And that was my serious time of the day. And the other times I didn't even write down. You know what I mean? And that's how people have always been. And everybody's gotten lost in the sauce thinking that they're going to work themselves too hard. And it's crazy. Why do you think people have bec become lost in the sauce in that respect? Because they're fucking lazy. And, and and we've inculcated this laziness because uh, like the there were a lot of magazines telling people, oh my God, you're going to fucking overtrain. And I was <laughs> laughing about this for years and years. And I'd, and I'd write, and I guess you know I'd write, I'd be like, the only time you can do it is rhabdo. And rhabdo only happens in CrossFit and almost only happens with these crazy sit-ups they do on a rounded Roman chair. Have you seen this? It's how Dana Lynn Bailey got rhabdo. And so yeah. they did like flop way back and oh, my, it must be an amazing stretch, but it looks like it breaks your back and they give yeah. themselves rhabdo doing that. But like, it's impossible. I have trained because I like I'm a wrestler. So we would go to wrestling camp and you'd wake up, you'd run five miles, then you'd eat breakfast, then you'd go to your first training, uh, your first wrestling session. And then you would maybe grab a nap, wake up, eat, lift, wrestle again, sleep, wrestle, eat lift wrestle and then go back to sleep and we did that constantly and then we would get home and like out train like I, I would join this platoon fitness training thing that was supposed to be run by navy seals it was remember when the seal well i don't know you had sas training in glasgow but uh <laughs> did you have that like i don't know they, they'll have it down in like england or something like that or like they'll probably okay. bases, but they don't have it and you don't just walk into an sas training center in glasgow no, no. I mean, they called it, they called it SAS training or SEAL training, but it was like, you train like one of them. So they would put you through really hard calisthenics workouts. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. We get, I think we've got one called British military fitness where they take people in a, like a park yeah. and they, they run about and they do sit ups and yeah. squats and run up hills. That was huge in the U S in the two thousands. And we had a legit, cause it was one of the first ones in my area. My area was very wealthy. So we had one of the first ones pop up there and it was a guy who was in the seals. He was this badass, And my buddy and I used to train him into the fucking ground every day. And he would, we, he kept coming in earlier and earlier. And we just took it as a challenge. Like we are grinding the seal to death. All this man wants to do is drink and party and we are fucking up his whole life. And we did it with a smile. But uh, so, yeah, I just grew up like that. Like we just if we wanted something, we just did it a lot. Like I, yeah. I love drawing. So I draw, I used to draw a lot and I got really, really good at it. And now I just love writing so much. I just write a lot and I haven't really gotten back to the drawing, but yeah, <laughs> I love lifting. So I got really good at it because I love doing it. So what's your view on high rep calisthenics for muscle building, for example? They obviously work. I mean, you, I mean, if you want to look at modern examples, you just look at the bar stars guys. I mean, they do uh, lift as well, but I mean, you see those guys who just do calisthenics and they are fucking monsters. Plus 
how many more girls or guys or whatever people you want to have sex with, how many more of them you think you're going to attract with that on a, like at a, at a park in front of a bunch of people, like just randomly busting out a flag and then a, a one-handed handstand or something, you're going to get way more people with that <laughs> than you will with showing some person your video of you doing some fucking bench press nobody wants to see in the first place. I guarantee it. doesn't matter how much you bench press, nobody gives a fuck. Especially not the girl you want to fuck or the guy you want to fuck. <laughs> That that's you know that's that's hilarious because gyms are at this point they are like there's more tripods in a gym than there is in a fucking Universal film studio lot. I'm mortified um, by filming myself, which is why we have this situation going on. <laughs> it's a 4K camera. I swear to God, it's just there's no lights in this room. So. so so where do you think this fascination that people have developed to film themselves doing really boring? lifts from like a bench press or an overhead press when it's just going from A to B like what, what is it is there a lack of creativity or is it just narcissism no, no, it's, they're posers they're posers <laughs> they're posers uh, that's that's yeah. what it is they're they don't want they don't like I don't film myself lifting because I'm there to lift and I really enjoy it. And I'm not fucking up my flow and missing my music because I want other people to see what I'm doing. I want to enjoy what I'm doing and do it well because it gives me joy to do it well. So I'm not going to not listen to my headphones. And so I don't film anything I do, but, um, but these people don't give a fuck about that. They want the image of being a lifter and then they want to be able to have proof that yes, I lifted and here's, I bought these shoes and I see I have the right shoes and I paid $150 for that belt. And oh, so the belt thing was literally just so people could do a continental before. It's not there to support your back. It's there because people used to rest their belt on it and then roll the bar up their chest because they were too fat to do a clean. Yes. So do you think that the belt is a, a pointless thing in lifting? Mostly. It's an excuse to be fat. <laughs> Do you I, know I squatted uh, so i did a fourth attempt in a uh in a meet uh where i hadn't been squatting with a belt i just did it last second because this guy i knew wanted to do a meet he wanted to get numbers on the board which i fucking hate but i so i went and did it with him and i was drunk and uh i had no belt on and i i did my I don't remember what I did for my third attempt because I didn't give a fuck about it. But then they asked me to do a fourth attempt to break their uh, federation record. So I did a fourth attempt, 618, no belt and uh, drunk. And yeah, so. <laughs> I, to I used to do everything I don't recommend it, but it's possible. I, I like to use a belt now and again, just for peace of mind when I'm doing things like squats and things like that. Uh, so okay. I think it has got you some, know, some merit. People, but I... Some people, some people, when they uh, drive through a yellow light, they uh, kiss their hand and then touch the roof of their uh, car. <laughs> that might help. I don't know. You that might must, want to do that, that must too. be an American thing. We we mm. call them an amber chancel in Scotland. Oh, okay. And so, so that's a that's a much uh, it's mellifluous the way you said it. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah all right it's uh, yeah that's sean connery like that's a nice it's a soothing accent i enjoy it yeah yeah it's uh it's, it's 
always commented on the Scottish accent, but it's very hard to understand for a lot of people. And I do think a lot of my American guests are just too polite at times to tell me that they don't understand a question. And sometimes I genuinely don't understand how that's possible. You're speaking clear English. It's just you haven't like there's a slight change to it, but I don't know. Are they Southern American Southerners? It's the it's the pronunciation of certain letters that catches people off guard. Like for example, when yeah, I was I can in America, see the way you say letters, for instance, the letters uh, that yeah that might yeah. throw somebody off. I guess. Yeah, my dad had a tracheotomy, like... so he like spoke through like he'd hold put a, a thumb over his stoma and uh, and speak through this really like gravelly voice. So I guess I became really attuned to understanding people, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a, there's, there's, there's certain words like time. If an American would pronounce the I differently, they would say time, whereas yeah. a Scottish person would say time. The, the I becomes an A. So but we it's... all have, I mean, every, I, don't, I personally never really got into the Shrek movies, but I have <laughs> seen enough of it in bits and pieces. Like I was a teacher for a year, so it was constantly on in some room and like, how the fuck did that not sink into their heads? I mean, I know they said the word time in that fucking movie over and over because I've heard it. I've heard Mike Myers say the word. <laughs> God damn. I just, I apologize for, uh, God damn, we're some, our, our education system has failed us. <laughs> oh, well, do you know what? I, I don't think it's a bad education system that America has. I think it's one of the best in the world. Uh, I think Scotland's is on a downturn, even though the Scottish education system was one of the best in the world at one point. Uh, oh, yes. The University of Edinburgh was the fucking place to be in the 19th century. I In the 20th century, I don't know if... I don't think it fell off. I think it just didn't get as much press, maybe. Yeah. But that yeah, was... Yeah. I mean, that's where the modern medicine was born. Like, you guys yeah. birthed medicine. Yeah, well, Joseph I mean... Lister, them, but... like, invented, like, all the, all the uh, antiseptic practices in Edinburgh. Penicillin was invented by a Scotsman. Uh... No shit, I did not... I did not know that. Yeah, television was invented by a Scotsman. Let's no mechanical yeah. television was invented by I know my shit. Mechanical no. television and nobody ever fucking used mechanical television. It didn't work. <laughs> let's not go there. Let's not go there, Jamie. Don't try to don't try to intellectual intellectually fog me out of this here. It's well known that it was John Logie Bell that invented the TV. A Scotsman, <laughs> may I add. And can I also throw this into the mix that the telephone was also invented by a Scotsman, Alexander Graham Bell. So basically, Scottish people are responsible for you guys binging on the Kardashians and doom scrolling TikTok on a daily basis. So you have us to thank okay. for that, Jamie. You know what? I I don't know if you recall this, but I'm I'm like very pro Scotland and uh, and Scottish history. And I wrote a really, really excellent article about Donald Denny back in the day. And I even compared him directly against Jim Thorpe because Jim Thorpe is America's version of Donald Denny. And that man was a bad motherfucker, too. But like he couldn't hold a candle to Donald Denny and also didn't have a beer named after him and didn't like isn't still memorialized as. I mean, he should be. I mean, we should be. We should have 
change the Statue of Liberty to a statue of Jim Thorpe. But like you guys do that with Donald Denny. And I love that. I, I love Scotland. I, if I was going to move away from America, I would either move to Finland or Scotland. But it's actually really interesting that you've said that, Jamie, because I uh, have two brothers who stay in Finland. And my my father actually emigrated to Finland. And oh, interesting. Yeah, he stayed in Helsinki for about 20 years. And the, the most amazing thing about that is that my dad met a woman while he was traveling Southeast Asia, Sri Lanka, and fell in love and decided to go and stay in Finland. And he fucking hitchhiked from Glasgow to Finland the whole way. When, what year was that? This was in the 1990s, probably about 1992. People were still hitchhiking in the 90s. Yeah. In, yeah, in, yeah. in Scotland? That was, I, it was dead in America. Serial killers literally killed it. <laughs> yeah. I've always had a fascination with hitchhiking, I think, through my father. Oh, interesting. Do you still do it? Or do you know? Because I drive. I drive now. I don't need to. But when I stayed in Australia, I stayed in a remote a remote park called uh, Muldura. And okay. the hostel that I stayed in was about five miles away from the nearest store. So you would just okay. walk and people would literally just stop in their pickup truck and just beckon you to get in the back. And you oh, you got in. to ride those dope-ass Holden pickup trucks. Oh, yeah. oh, they have such yeah. fucking cool-ass pickups in Australia. Yeah. I, I actually got a job in Australia through hitchhiking. Oh, did a you? Guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just jumped in this guy's truck, and within five minutes, he'd offered me a job in a scrapyard. That's dope. Yeah, it was amazing. It was amazing. But one thing I wanted to touch upon was, was one of your programs, that, which I attempted for a while and i know one of my friends i uh, like to call them protocols because i really like to get away from the word program but i know i I know everybody uses the word program but it's really it's it's just it's led everyone astray but yeah okay okay Uh, apologies for that (laughs) but anyway back no no it's fine it's fine i just (laughs) yeah i've written a book called the anti-programming manifesto i'm gonna look like a real fucking dickhead if i don't speak up and be like it's not a fucking program I get it. I get it. You guys are all entitled to being wrong. It's just, (laughs) I wish you would stop being wrong because it hurts me deeply. I'll fix my fucking camera if you stop using that stupid word. But anyway, go ahead. The word program Ah! will leave my lips again. Strangling you. This protocol, it fascinated me. and I learned about it through a friend who did it. He also made a YouTube compilation of his workouts, Jared Miller. And which, one, uh, which, which protocol is this? It's the Famine, Feast, oh, and Feast Ferocity. Famine? Yeah, yeah, Feast, Famine, and Ferocity. Yep. Nice. What was the origins of this program? Uh, they were twofold. So, uh, well, maybe threefold. So I was able to take what I had read about the Vikings and uh, and also like, so I'd read this book. Have you ever read The Warrior Diet back in the day by Ori? Yes, Mechler? yes. Okay, so that book was the shit. And I recommend people read it if they, I'm talking in the mic like that makes a difference. But like it adds <laughs> emphasis. But anyway, <laughs> um, 
Uh, I recommend people read it because it, it's not entirely accurate. It's written by this guy who uh, made his money as a writer for Playboy, but he uh, and maybe a cartoonist. But he was in the Israeli Special Forces and uh, he studied the way that Greeks and Romans used to eat and train, and then he applied his Israeli Special Forces training to that, and he made this diet and training book based on it, and it was phenomenal. So the root of this book and any book that I write that is diet and training based and with history, I have Ori Hoffmeckler to thank. And I don't ever want anybody to think that I have invented this idea. This is Ori Hoffmeckler and the man was a fucking genius. But so I'm taking the ball and running with it. And so, um, so, but what he didn't cover in there was the fact that with, uh, with the Greeks and the Romans, they were eating, they were eating a lot of, um, carbohydrates. And that's basically what was in the book. You remember it was a lot of stews and lentils and rice and stuff like that. Well, they, they all got their meat on, on holiday feasts. That's, and that's why, uh, like there used to be holiday feasts up through the middle ages and shit like that. It was the nobility fed people. So you would not eat a lot of meat during the week or whatever, but there was a fucking Catholic feast every three fucking days. So you'd eat meat on that day because they'd kill three cows and stew them up or whatever and everybody would eat. And so the, he missed that part, but I picked it up. And so and I started digging more and I was like, oh, well, in the summer they trained, they, they were do, always rowing and rowing and rowing. And I thought back to my rowing in Adirondacks. And like, I was like, oh, that makes sense. They're getting jacked that way. That's building a lot of muscular strength. And then they're changing and they're not eating as much because mostly they're fucking rowing and you can only bring so much food with you on campaign and things like that. You're eating what you find. So they're going through these protracted periods of not eating, certainly not eating six times a day and not eating perfectly pulsed 30 grams of protein or whatever the fuck people think they need to eat. <laughs> not doing any of that. They're maybe not eating one day and then they were eating three days worth of food the next day, even though they did six days worth of lifting in that time. You know what I mean? And so they were getting all these different amounts of working out and things like that. And so I started, I was trying to figure out like how to build a book out of that. And what I, and then I went to jail and, uh, and I like, I got, like, I, I was a drunk going into jail. And so I hadn't really trained for like six months. And so, and I was a fuck, I woke up in jail, like, Oh fuck me. How the fuck did I get here? Like, and then I was there for like uh, basically 11 months and, uh, for a DUI and it, it sucked, but I had to get back into shape into jail. So I had my Rocky moment of like, well, fuck it. I better start doing pushups. Like I just rolled over in bed and was like, I better start doing pushups. And I started doing pushups and pull-ups off my bunk. And, but the first 30 days I was there, I was in this thing called quarantine. And so we barely ate. It was, I mean, 1500 calories a day at, at most. It was very small meals and we yeah. were fucking hungry. And because I was so hungry, I couldn't think about doing anything else other than eating. And so I just lifted or worked out. Like I made up ways to work out, like lifting buckets of water and like doing running up and down stairs. And so I just trained myself constantly and I got real ripped. And then, uh, and then the, you know, the other 10 months after that, like I was just eating as much protein as I could and working out as much as I could and staying as lean as I could with the opportunities that I had to work out. And, um, and that all kind of culminated in this book, which was, well, shit, I realized what I always knew and what everybody has done back in the day, which is if you go through a few weeks or a few months in the case of like old school boxers of training around the clock and eating really fucking like strict and aesthetically and, or, or very lean, 
it will like lean you out and then you can bulk up again and you, your body just sucks up the nutrients because you've been starving it and like grinding every nutrient you can out of that and really like making your body into the most efficient machine it could be. And I figured that out from dieting for powerlifting meets, not really dieting for them, but like cutting for them. I realized that like you are turning your body into a fucking furnace. Like people yeah. would sit next to me and be like, God damn, like you are literally like sitting next to a heat lamp because my body was radiating heat. I was just like ready to go at all times. I'm, uh, so like when you start feeding your body, when it's in that state, you can eat anything you fucking want and your body just sucks it up. And that's how you have all these guys back in the day who are jacked as fuck, even though you're like, well, I can't, why can't I be this big that now? And I'm, they must've been done this and their genetics that. And it's like, no, he just worked a, he worked really fucking hard. And then, you know, if he knew he had to take some pictures coming up and he was a little fat, he would just exercise more and eat less. That was literally it. So, like, just, to pick up on, just to pick up on what you said, because it's interesting you spoke about your, your experience in prison and how you began to work out in there. And that kind of ties in with a lot of the stuff I do, because a lot of my workouts are based around prison workouts, so to speak, where it's just high rep calisthenics and did you go to like a big prison or did, did you mean no i've never i've never been to prison in my life i've never been to prison oh, in my okay. life i just started following guys on youtube who were doing these workouts and it, it was like a, a red pill moment for me as well because i had been lifting weights for years and lockdown occurred and i had no access to a gym and i had to find a different way to train Yep. And I get into the whole calisthenics scene, eh, particularly high rep, where we were doing like 500 to 1,000 burpees. And the results that I got were very profound, very profound, both on a physical and mental level. So what kind of workouts were you doing at that time in your life? Uh, I The one that like I like to recall the most, it was the most profound. And I think I was in... I have a, an actual number that I can give to it was, so I had that month in quarantine where I was doing the pull-ups and push-ups. And then I went to this different part of the jail that was like for short timers there. And, uh, and it was basically like a, uh, like a, a large trailer for, for lack of a better term. So it was maybe, it wasn't a hundred meters long, maybe 50 meters long. And, uh, so, and it, like all the bunks were on either side and there was a big gap in the center. So I would walk from one side to the other and wall sit for as long as I possibly could. And then walk to the other side and wall sit for as long as I could. And I had these certain programs that I would listen to on the radio. So like, it was essentially like a podcast. I would listen to this uh, NPR things. It was like the BBC oh. radio. And, uh, so for an entire program, I would just do wall sits walking from one side to the other. And then when it changed to something else, I would do pull-ups for that time. And while I just listened to these, these things, I would just do pull-ups. And so I would walk like one length and then do some pull-ups, maybe 10 pull-ups or 20 pull-ups and then walk a length and then do 20 pull-ups. And, um, so that's how I was training in that. And when I got to the gym at, at the end of that three months, um, I squatted 500 with no warm up, <laughs> and I hadn't lifted for like I said five or six months prior to going to the gym, and I was a drunken wreck. And like, I probably weighed maybe 180 pounds. I hadn't put a bar on my back in all that time, and I easily squatted 500. What do you think the effect of the wall sits had on your fitness? Because I think they've just released studies that show they have a profound effect on lower. Uh, 
stopping high blood pressure or something to that effect. Oh, really? That's really interesting. I had yeah. no idea. I just, I've always liked wall sits because I have terrible, well, I had terrible, terrible, terrible flexibility. And so doing free squats was really uncomfortable for me uh, because like it, it just hurt everything and it felt unnatural and I couldn't really stay upright. And now I could do a third world squat. So I like, I don't, I'd like doing them, but um, so doing a wall sit was like the old, I love doing isometrics. I've always enjoyed them. And that is one of, we did them in wrestling all the time and I just grew to really enjoy them. So that's really why I chose to do them. Yeah. What, what do you find so fascinating about isometrics? What effects do you think they have on your overall fitness levels or strength levels? Uh, they allow you to engage more of your muscle fibers. I think it, in, in that way that people talk about the mother who can lift the car up off her baby and, you know, times yeah. of crisis, that's what isometrics do. And, you know, the, the muscle control guys back in the day, like Maxic and things like that, flexing your muscles like bodybuilders does and isometrics are like, that's what isometrics are gives you better yeah. definition. It literally, it, it'll it break up all the fascial problems that you have or help do it along with stretching, things like that. It is, I would say, absolutely essential. I just don't write about it yet because I haven't quite figured out exactly what I, uh, where I'm going with it all. But yeah, yeah. I, they're absolutely essential. So what are your, what are your favorite isometric uh, exercises or techniques? Uh, I really like doing pull-up holds and well, see, so for any, if you have any lift that you are doing and you have a sudden weak spot in that lift, whatever it is, I would get on a machine, like a plate loaded machine, like a hammer strength machine, or yeah. if you don't have access to a machine, do whatever the closest analog is to with your body weight. And like, if it's on a bench press, like three quarters of the way up or halfway up, you know, you, everybody's sticking point. That yeah. is the point where you have some kind of fascial issue that is limiting your body's power output and you need to stay. And so your body's having to compensate by changing the position of your body in a minute way. You don't even know. So by staying in that position, it through that agonizing pain at times, in those spots, you will actually strengthen yourself in ways you can't even imagine. Because now, instead of having to generate an insane amount of power over a short range in the range of motion you can actually hit, and that it, in order to power through those sticking points, you can yeah. have a steady amount of power at that level through the entire range of motion, and you will literally get pulled off the ground with the force of your own press. <laughs> so how how long would you hold these positions for? As long as you can. So there's no set time. How long? How would you know how long you could hold it if you don't hold? <laughs> no, because if, if if you were going to release a protocol, you would. I mean, I'm assuming people would usually suggest a time frame just to give people a a reference point. As long as possible. <laughs> Like, for instance, I love hanging from a pull-up bar. Like, I love it. And uh, hanging from a pull-up bar is one of the greatest isometric things you could possibly do. It really helps with shoulder health. And yeah. But I roll my shoulders and I do all kinds of different stuff that isn't just hanging from a pull-up bar. And yeah. I also don't – what, am I going to sit there with a fucking stopwatch every time I do it? I do it 20, 30 times a day. Like, I, I just don't understand what the point of that question is. <laughs> I think your microphones went on mute, Jamie. 
I know. I put it on mute so that you didn't have to hear me coughing. <laughs> this is a roller coaster, Jamie. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie, mate. I'm trying to bring the goods for you. Not, and it's, it's very much appreciated. It's very much appreciated. Right. So another question I wanted to ask was... Oh, no. Now, I would like to... How long... Like, so what would you say to that? I would just like a reference point in my head to count, just to okay. give me something that I could build upon. So I would say I hang from a pull-up bar five, at least five times a day for, I mean, so based on the amount of fascial problems you have in your hands, especially, you won't be able to yeah. hold onto the bar that long. Yeah. But I do yeah. 30 to 60 seconds probably. I don't do yeah. a lot longer than that. You don't have to set a fucking record there. But the point yeah. is you're trying to stretch yourself. Yeah. And also yeah. you can, if you grip the bar, you, did you ever read Pavel's thing about innervation? Yeah. 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 Is this, so, is this irradiation? Maybe it is irradiation where you grip the bar hard and then the power radiates down. Yeah. 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 So there is something to that, but I think that, if you grab the bar as hard as you can, you don't realize that you only use your strong fingers. Do you realize mm -hmm. that? No, I never thought when you pull on I something. Thought it was, I thought you were just kind of activating other muscles within the body and it was making you stronger overall. That was the the, the message I that that's I got. What, I think that. that's what he thought about it. But actually, I, Pavel was not a strong man. He was a marketer. He was just a yeah, marketer. Yeah, yeah. He was just a hairy little marketing man with no shirt on. <laughs> But what gripping the bar really hard will do for you, especially during isometrics, you will feel shit change in your body for real. Like you, you will feel as you're gripping the bar and you've, you're holding it maybe at the three quarter part of a press, you'll feel yeah. shit in your shoulders start to go snap, crackle and pop. And as you start to realize, oh, well, I can now force my shoulders down and I can force my shoulders back and I can force my shoulders up and, oh, I've always been rounding my shoulders. I need to pull them back. And then I realized packing your shoulders, don't do it. Keep your mm -hmm. back flat when you're benching. Like all the old school guys that everybody's been fucking ogling and saying they had great genetics. No, they did pullovers and they benched with a flat back with a two second pause on their chest. So be yeah. a fucking adult about it and do it that way. The way we were taught to do it back, back, back in the day. Not before yeah. powerlifters fucked up the whole thing. <laughs> See, I, that's something I actually implement in my training when I do pull-ups. I like to hold positions for certain lengths of time and just get stronger in them or do like a, like half a rep and then go into a full rep just to change the movement up because chin-ups, they don't get boring, but you, you become too good at them and you can just crank out so many numbers and I think it comes at the expense of joint integrity at times. So it's always a case of trying to make awesome. them more difficult. And people cut their reps short or that, you know, a lot of people cut their reps short when they're doing high reps. Do you always do the full rep every time? See, that's a good question because it depends if I am doing, say, like I'm going for 100, 200 chin-ups in a session and I'm trying to do it in a conditioning context, then I will limit the range of motion just to get through the reps fast and try and get a better time with okay. regards to how many rounds I can complete within so many minutes. But if I decide to slow things down, I will choose. Are you, are you writing this stuff down? 
No, we just have workouts that we use as tests, so to speak. Like we use the okay. Cindy workout from CrossFit. It's five chin-ups, 10 push-ups, 15 squats, 20 minutes, as many rounds as you can possibly do. So you're just trying to remain in perpetual oh. motion. Oh, I like that. And That's nice. Yeah, it's a great workout. It's, it's, a, it's a good uh, tester to kind of realise your conditioning. And another one we'll do is, uh, we like to call this the golden standard of conditioning, where we will do five chin-ups, 10 push-ups and 15 squats on the first minute. And on the second minute, we'll do 10 burpees and we'll keep that going for 60 minutes continuously. Ooh, all right. Nice. That's a good one. So yeah, but it's really brutal. So you're kind of using hacks in some respect with regards to range of motion on your chin-ups. I'm not saying that you're doing Johnny half-rep shit, but at the same time, you're not going down full extension and holding. You're just trying to crank them out because it's all about time. But I would like to say that if you look at the old school guys and you look at gymnasts in particular, their biceps yeah. are beautiful, right? Yeah. A lot of that is from doing straight arm exercises. You don't see gymnasts doing a lot of bent arm stuff. And so yeah. they do their iron cross. They do uh, like all of that shit that we always have been doing with bent arms or slightly bent arms has really like shortened our biceps and things like that. And if you do these levers and things like that, or just hang from the bar, especially with a curl grip and just hang there, you will notice your, your arms look prettier and you feel better. Like that's something that I think people are really missing is that full, full, like really getting a stretch on their biceps and their pecs at the bottom of that, uh, that movement. Yeah. Yeah. Gymnasts. I, I always think that gymnasts have probably get the best. I don't want to say upper body development when you look at the Olympics, but definitely around the shoulders and the arms they are, it's mind boggling actually. Amazing. To look at it, you're going, what the actual fuck, man? How do I get to that level? <laughs> but then you're getting these biomechanic guys that are now starting to come on to Instagram and are talking about how chin-ups are not a great biceps exercise. And it starts to create this fucking whirlwind of doubt in your head at times. They don't know what the fuck they're... Okay, so there is no such thing as sports science. It, that is a lie. It is literally <laughs> a lie. The entire idea of sports science is predicated upon people who worked in the carnival trying to make money. So they would sell programs that usually they didn't write or do. So like George Hackenschmidt's programs and book, he didn't write that fucking book. Like it, it, he, Jesus Christ, like he didn't do any of those things. Eugene Sandow didn't do his program. They had hack writers writing these things and they sold them to idiots to do because they were easy. That was the soul when they would give their writers the a rule, like it had to be easy. And so like everything that we have been doing is so wrong, but like yeah. <laughs> these programs that are, uh, so these, these old school guys, they would do a lot of hanging from like, or they would do, um, <clears throat> do you do overhead claps? What, what is this exercise? So you're here. You clap overhead, you clap in the front, you clap overhead, you clap in front. I love that exercise. What is it called? You're a body weight guy. What I don't happen know. To my camera? I, I've oh, never God. seen that, that exercise in my life. Oh, okay. Well, I love that. I don't it, do advanced calisthenics. I do simple press-ups, squats, pull-ups, chin-ups. I don't do the fancy stuff. I moved and I ruined the whole thing. Okay. <laughs> it's okay. It's Shit. still the same Fuck. to me. <laughs>
<laughs> camera looks like. Oh, does it? All right, cool. <laughs> Still looks like shit. Whatever. Yeah. So I. I but anyway. So the. Uh, just the sports science, the idea of sports science came from these guys who are selling these bullshit programs. And one of these guys who was in uh, Russia and he was trying to survive the Soviet takeover of Russia because he was a nobleman who had been training with uh, the all of the people in St. Petersburg like Hackenschmidt. They were Tsar Nicholas II was their coach and he was also the Tsar's Coke dealer. And so these guys were training their fucking asses off on Coke. And then most of them got sent to the site and sent to Siberia. But this one guy started a sports science program at the University of St. Petersburg. People in America, also on Coke, did the exact same thing. And they were just trying to, like Sigmund Freud, justify their existence on planet Earth. So they were looking at what people had done and seeing if they could extrapolate what people should do because science was a very new word at the time and Victorian science made pop, made it part of pop culture. So yeah. this is a bullshit, entirely bullshit industry. That It's bullshit in ways I can't even describe. I would like to cage fight every fucking <laughs> apparent, alleged sports scientist on the planet because they're a fucking liar. Either that or they've <laughs> never taken statistics because you cannot make a scientific statement based on a study of 12 people. You can't. Yeah. Cannot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is it's a it is literally one of the first things you learn in statistics. Yeah, yeah. But it seems like science is the big thing and training nowadays. Yeah, but none of them know it. And then they'll talk about genetics and it's everything they say there. Like they talk about genetics like it's a fucking like it's fate or their astrology. Fucking idiots. <laughs> it's offensive. They're a fucking disgrace. And but anybody you know who's listening to this who is a sports scientist, go fuck yourself. <laughs> Jamie, I'm offended you used the word program. You've actually broke the, the, the podcast protocol. <laughs> Damn so it. That, that, that's a strike. And I loved how you spoke about these people taking Coke while drinking some Diet Coke yourself. What is wrong with Diet Coke? <laughs> Nothing. I like Diet Coke. I like Diet Coke. It's not as good as Iron Brew, though. We've got a drink in Scotland called Iron Brew, which is illegal in America. Because it, it's slightly alcoholic or what? I think it's got preservatives in it that are banned in the States. I think That's it's just too manly for Americans, to be honest with, with you. I, it has Donald Denny on there, and we just <laughs> can't handle him. He's too much. He's too much for our tiny American brains. <laughs> Listen, Jamie, I'm going to... Jamie. Oh, I don't know what happened. I've lost... I can't hear you. Can you hear me? Did you mute yourself? It looks like you... Sorry sorry about that, Jamie. I, 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 I pressed my mouse there by accident. That's all right. At least so, Jamie, I'm, up, I'm, not mine. I'm going to have to wrap this up at this point. I've been past the hour mark oh. and I've got family duties to attend to. Oh, well, but, damn it. I like to keep it short because I like to get people on again. And okay, I have thoroughly enjoyed myself. That was that was a roller coaster for me. <laughs> well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. We went all over the place. It was uh, definitely it was a wild ride. Yeah, yeah, but I expected that to a certain degree. Uh, but you're what we would call wild card. Yeah, you're what we would say in Scotland. You're some man. You're some man. 
I'm going to have to go. Some boy, you're some boy. That's what we would call you. But anyway, Jamie, it's been an absolute blast. Hopefully people got a lot of value from that because I know I did. I hope so. And uh, sports scientists, if I if I offended you, <laughs> I just, you know, just look at your lives and look what you've done. And, uh, you, you know, you cannot apply any small samples to a large population. It is it violates the laws of statistics. And somatotyping, by the way, is also not science like your mesotype or your I'm an ectomorph or an endomorph or that was bunk science in 1939. And it was invented by a guy who was trying to keep people in jail based on their body type. Jamie, I'm going to have a bunch of sports scientists with pitchforks outside my house when this podcast drops. Well, you know what? They're easily defeated by statistics <laughs> <laughs> or actual science. Anyway, that was the one and only Jamie Lewis. Jamie, thank you. <laughs> I will bow, but you can't see it because my camera's shit. <laughs> <laughs>